Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. We are here in January 2022, and every January is both stalking and human trafficking awareness month. There's a lot going on this month. Mm -hmm. Uh, For today's episode, we are going to discuss grooming. Grooming is often used in sex trafficking and other forms of child exploitation, so it's a perfect discussion to have this month. We're going to break down some warning signs, steps of the grooming process, and even discuss how grooming was used in some recent high-profile trafficking cases. A big shout-out to Child Advocacy Centers of Alberta, Canada, and RAIN, which is Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network, for providing us with a lot of this material to share out to you today. Yes, big shout out to both of those agencies just for really giving a great glimpse into all this and really great content for us to kind of share today. So let's dive right in. There is a lot to unpack here this episode, Um, and I think a really good place to start is simply defining what grooming is. And so grooming is when an adult builds trust and rapport with a youth uh, or perhaps their family as well. That way they can get close to them in order to abuse or exploit them. And perpetrators can very often be charismatic and easily gain the trust of others. So the normalcy of these individuals can make them pretty hard to spot, right? If we don't know some of those warning signs. And the grooming process itself, it can vary with how long it takes. So this could be a connection built over a matter of days, weeks, or sometimes even years, which I think makes it pretty easy to understand how complicated and strong these grooming relationships can become, especially when the behaviors that are used are methodical, gradual, or escalate over time. And so grooming can happen in person or online, and groomers can be anyone. Uh, it really does not discriminate, right? It's It could be men, women, friends, strangers, a professional, or someone with power and authority, which we're going to be talking about that a lot today in those specific cases. And this could even be a school staff member, a coach, a nanny, or a family member. And so when we're talking about those cases, the R. Kelly case and the Jeffrey Epstein case, both of these men used a lot of different grooming techniques in order to kind of reel in their victims. And so we're going to be highlighting a lot of specific tactics they used as we go along talking about the red flags and the steps of grooming. So before we get into those specific high profile cases, let's just discuss the signs of grooming. So we're going to break this down into signs for different age groups. We're going to start with signs of grooming for children from uh, 0 to 11 years old. So some some things to look out for are they have gifts like outfits or toys that can't be explained where they came from. They all of a sudden showed up with something new. And rather than a simple explanation of, oh, this came from Sally down the street or this came from, you know, my teacher who was giving gifts to everyone in class or whatever, they don't really have that kind of explanation for it. Mm-hmm. They are reluctant to discuss how and where they got these gifts. Again, more kind of unknown, keeping that secret. If they are at an age where they're online, they're getting a lot of messages from someone that they met or know online. So this person is definitely trying to be in contact with them frequently. It's not just uh, once or twice a week, they're trying to establish that relationship with them Mm -hmm. because that's what grooming is all about is building that trust. 
So they want to make sure they are in contact, getting to know their victim and making sure they know, you know, what makes their victim tick because that's how they will get to them. Yeah. They don't want to discuss what they've been doing or who they talk to, keeping that secret. They discuss a certain adult or older child often, and they want to spend a lot of time with them. So that could be when the grooming process is kind of underway, when they're really wanting to spend a lot of time with that person because they're feeling like they need to devote that amount of time to that person. They might be spending more alone time in their room or wherever they are quite frequently. They'll spend a lot of alone time and that could be because they're trying to hide away that relationship and not really let anyone else know what they're doing or who they're talking to. They also might stop talking to you, the caregiver or the parent, about their day-to-day or asking for advice. This could be because they are not getting that uh, daily advice or daily just talking out their day to, uh, they might be getting that from this groomer. And so they're needing it from you as the parent or caregiver less and less because they are getting it elsewhere. So some of the things to look for in that younger age group. Absolutely. And I think those are really big things to look for, right? I think if you're thinking about a child up to age 11, it could be pretty easy to kind of recognize those signs, you know, especially the gifts, things like that, that kids obviously at that age don't have jobs yet, can't be providing, you know, kind of new things for themselves, right? Without parents kind of knowing where it comes from, those supplemental relationships of other adults besides the parents. So yeah, definitely great things to keep in mind. And so the next age group we're going to talk about are teenagers. And so they might be in a relationship with a much older person. Uh, Obviously, big red flag, right, for a lot of reasons, especially Mm -hmm. if that age gap is pretty significant. Um, Definitely something to kind of take notice of, maybe ask some questions about that relationship in general. Perhaps they don't want to share about what they've really been doing, right? Or maybe they're lying about what they're doing. So, and this is something actually seen in both the R. Kelly and the Jeff Epstein case. Youth kind of begin to separate what is happening. They don't want to discuss it. In R. Kelly's case specifically, many of the girls were made to be pretty afraid of telling what was going on to their family. And so often lying to their Mm -hmm. parents about the relationship they were having with him uh, or kind of what was going on in that relationship itself. And the same for the Epstein victims as well. And so, I mean, I think there's a point in time when we're teenagers, right, where maybe we're pushing the boundaries a little bit. Maybe we're kind of doing things, getting into a little bit of trouble or doing things that maybe our parents just won't be super proud of. I think regardless, you know, if they're maybe lying about things or maybe they start to kind of seem like they're hiding some things, obviously just a really good thing to kind of check in with them about. So some other signs could be skipping school. Uh, or maybe skipping out on hobbies or family or social activities. So, and this was another thing that we really saw, uh, especially in the Jeff Epstein case. This was really common. He was recruiting young women from local high schools. And how this kind of began with him in his case is that he started recruiting young women uh, under the guise that they're just going to give him a massage at his house, right? And obviously he was a super rich man, very well-to-do, very well-connected with a lot of really famous people. And so I think that added kind of a layer of trust, right? Oh, this isn't just some weird shady guy. This is someone that kind of everyone knows. And also, you know, promising that they were going to get money out of this. Um, And a lot of these individuals that he kind of specifically 
specifically groomed, you know, weren't going to have access to that money otherwise, right? So that was a really big buy-in for them. Um, again, kind of recruiting those at-risk or impoverished youth to do this. And so a lot of them were skipping school to come and meet him, skipping out on activities they'd normally be doing because this seemed like a big opportunity for them. And so, yeah, just things like that are, again, really good things to have a discussion on regardless of maybe what the real reason behind it is. So some other things are unexplained gifts like jewelry, uh, maybe self-maintenance things, right? Like getting your nails done, electronics. Uh, that's another big one as well. So I know we talked about, you know, the gifts, the unexplained gifts for the young children, but this is, I think, especially important here for teenagers. Another kind of connection piece between these cases, during a police search of Jeff Epstein's home, they obviously uncovered a lot of things, right? A lot of evidence to what he was doing. And one of the things that they uncovered kind of right off the bat uh, were notes and receipts. He had a girl that had been there for maybe a month or so. And uh, these receipts showed that he had roses delivered to her school because she was in some production at school. Um, and so things like that, right? So if I was a parent at that play and there's now undisclosed roses showing up, you know, again, it may not be the most insidious thing in the world, right? Depending on who sent them, whatever, but obviously something I would probably take notice of, right? And maybe have some questions as to where these came from. So some other kind of red flags, again, like Brie mentioned, they don't want to discuss where the gifts came from, maybe coming up with different reasons or excuses or lies about, you know, where these things are coming from. Perhaps they're spending less time with friends or maybe they start to change their circle. Both R. Kelly's victims and Epstein's victims, uh, they really became ingrained in the world that they were brought into by their abusers. So they were mainly just spending time with the other victims or the people in their circles uh, specifically. And especially because many in R. Kelly's case were being held in those circles and not allowed to visit or contact family often. So R. Kelly's victims, they ended up kind of being held against their will in his home. And so obviously then their whole circle changes, you know, they're kept in that space. And so really their only points of contact are the other victims in those situations. Uh, some other things, spend lots of time chatting online with a certain person. Perhaps they don't want people around when they're with this boyfriend or girlfriend or this older friend they have, whatever, you know, role they're assuming to be. Or maybe they shut down emotionally to family and they don't want to discuss thoughts or feelings, which again, I think could be, you know, a kind of a common thing that teenagers go through, right? That kind of disconnection, you don't understand me. But I think that's just something obviously really important to look out for. And that's another commonality for both cases. So in R. Kelly's case, he especially fed the victims the idea that he was really looking out for them, right? And he was doing the best for them. Uh, you know, he's going to help them with their careers and so on and so forth. So when parents started to get upset or concerned about, you know, where they're at, if they weren't coming home or what they were doing, what this relationship was looking like, it really only pushed these confused victims away further because they really believed at that point because of the bond that he was creating with them that he had their best interest. And so these are, I think, obviously not all of the red flags that you can look out for, but some, some really important ones to look out for those teenage years. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. It's also important to highlight some signs of someone grooming the youth's parents. Mm -hmm. And initially, this might seem like what? How are they going to pull one over on the parents? You know, this is targeting the vulnerable youth and they don't really 
know the warning signs to look out for and they're getting in this relationship because they're seeking the attention and the love like okay we can kind of see where that comes from but the parents so let's talk about that uh like we mentioned in the definition this relationship to get closer to the youth might also include getting this person gaining the trust of the parents to have a closer access to that child so some of the signs of grooming the parents might look like offering to transport the child to activities Oh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll get them today. We're uh, doing the carpool anyway. You know, mm-hmm. they're offering that pretty consistently, or offers to look after the child or take them on trips. And Epstein did this with lavish things like college programs and tuition, mm-hmm. opportunities abroad, or trips with celebrities where the victim would be his assistant. Um, on the outside, this could look like incredible opportunities to parents, right? If you're uh, child is wanting to get involved in something that Epstein could potentially help them along the way with, you might be hesitant to say no to that kind of opportunity experience, especially if your child is very jazzed on it and very, very excited and thinking it could really further their career. Yeah. So that could look like an incredible opportunity to parents who wouldn't suspect someone like Epstein to have bad intentions like he did right another warning sign of this is they might offer to mentor or individually coach your child so r kelly did this to his victim's parents offering that he would help young girls harness their musical gifts and could help them build incredible careers something the parents and the youth were often grateful for you know this person's coming in and offering to do this this is a it's difficult to turn down an opportunity like that, but you have to be careful with that person's intentions. Absolutely. They might buy gifts or do favors for the family, especially favors done around the house, like repairs, uh, just kind of going over the top, you know, Oh, I'll take care of that. Oh, I'm happy to do that for you. Offering that a little bit too much or a little bit out of context of what would really make sense for that person to be offering to do for you. They could be showing interest in the child's activities or other areas of the child's life. And that is something that could raise a red flag of like, oh, why are you uh, interested in that? You know, depending on the status of that person, it might not raise that red flag, though, because you could take it as a compliment of someone really interested in their abilities and a certain talent that your child has. Um, they could be playing around with the youth and make non-sexual physical contact while the parents are around, getting both the parents and that youth used to the physical contact and kind of showing that parent, you know, I am being respectful to this youth and nothing's going on because, you know, this is total non-sexual contact. And then it's when it's behind closed doors, when the the sexual contact could happen so those are all things to look out for where the whole family or at least the parents or caregivers could be involved in that grooming also 
Yeah, and just huge things to keep in mind. And I think especially that last one, right, kind of um, that non-sexual physical contact while the parents are around, uh, because really for that child especially, that's going to be, you know, perhaps really normalizing that, right? And showing that, oh, okay, this Mm -hmm. is totally fine what's going on, right? And so Mm -hmm. once there's no other adults in the room, once perhaps they're alone, you know, starting to kind of push those boundaries. And like we mentioned, this could be kind of a methodical or kind of like, slow process, you know, so that, um, that physical touch, especially can be something that they start to increase and really push the boundaries on. But again, you know, it, it probably feels or seems maybe normal to that child at that point. Right. And I think there's something, um, that I'm just kind of like clicking on as we're having this discussion, right. And talking about specifically the R Kelly case and the Jeffrey Epstein case. I mean, these are people that have a really high profile lifestyle, right? Or they, they once had, I will say that. Um, but you're mm-hmm. thinking about that, right. And that trust that probably parents were going to give them naturally, because, you know, this is a, uh, for R. Kelly's case, this is like a Grammy award-winning artist, right. That thinks that mm-hmm. my daughter is talented. So of course, if he's offering these opportunities, right. how would we pass that up? Or, you know, when Jeffrey Epstein would say, you know, this is, uh, this girl's like a gifted artist, or, you know, she's going to be really talented in some kind of a field. And, you know, I can provide her this amazing opportunity to go abroad to study to do this and that and just connect her yeah a lot of parents probably aren't really thinking about that right because again these are mm-hmm. these are gentlemen with really really high profile lifestyles they're in the media all the time um but you know it's not just the high profile right i think that kind of abuse of power and that abuse of that status um can yeah especially happen at any level you know thinking about those kind of individuals that right. are going to infiltrate the home they're going to be that kind of go-to guy that's always there helping out and this is the guy that came over and you know helped us redo the roof just no questions asked and you know came Mm -hmm. over and helped us with the lawn work right Um, or that's that coach at school that everyone loves and everyone looks up to and so yeah I think really thinking about that in that context right like thinking about just really picking apart like why for and maybe looking at mm-hmm. you know, how much how much time are they spending and what does that really look like am I there when this person is really um you know kind of whisking my child off or spending that one-on-one time and this and that like I mentioned in the beginning when we define grooming this is uh, a process that's methodical it grows over time and so let's talk about the stages of grooming I think this is just as important as understanding those red flags and those warning signs because understanding the process of how it works I think can be a big eye-opener right and um, maybe someone understanding not only just how this works but what it could really look like and so step one in the grooming process is targeting the victim the perpetrator often looks for vulnerable youth so maybe they have emotional needs maybe they are Um, low in their self-confidence. They lack opportunities in their life that this person can fill. So again, thinking Mm -hmm. about that, that high profile person that could step in, thinking about that coach that could really, you know, believe in them and think like, you know, if I spend all this one-on-one time with them, this coach is really going to make me into something more. And so um, kind of going back in our little connections here into these cases we've been mentioning, uh, R. Kelly found a majority of young women who were looking, right, for those promising careers like we've been kind of mentioning and really tapping into that. Jeffrey Epstein, he often looked for young women who came from impoverished areas or were vulnerable because of prior abuse or circumstances. And that was one of the main ways that, yeah, they both recruited, right, and did so pretty successfully. The second stage of grooming is the bond and forming the bond. And so in this stage, 
that perpetrator, they begin to gain the trust and information on their victims. So especially kind of gathering what this child or what this youth's needs are so they can start to focus on how they can fulfill their needs for them, right? Or kind of fill in that missing piece maybe that this youth is looking for. In this stage, that's when they also may start to gain the trust of the family, right? Or the parents, almost really ingraining themselves in the, in the part of the family. This is actually interesting. So I wanted to mention another case here, and I will say I got lightly obsessed with this whole case. Uh, there's mm -hmm. been a lot about it recently. And it's interesting because in this specific case I'm gonna talk about, it wasn't necessarily youth. It's, it's shown that there were some youth involved, but this was majority of adults. But I still think this is really interesting. And I think the parallels between how this case came together, I mean, it really speaks to a lot of grooming techniques. And so, the case I'm mentioning um, is the Nixium trafficking cult. So if you're unfamiliar, I really encourage you to go watch some of the documentaries that have come out. Um, there's been a plethora of them at this point. I know, I think the first one was on HBO. I'm gonna have these things linked below, but just for curiosity's sakes, um, it's spelled N-X-V-I-M, so Nixium. It was marketed to be a self-empowerment and success building group. Like that's how it began. That was the premise and the foundation of this group itself. And participants would enter these classes trying to better themselves, right? Better their careers, better their relationships. And the group really brought you in immediately like a family. And so they all just really acted as this family unit. Um, and some of the group's ex-members, they spoke about how the group would make you kind of see things in yourself that you've never noticed you were capable of or things in yourself that like, wow, I've never thought of myself that way, right? So brought you in pretty quickly and started to really build that bond and started to kind of, again, notice those things about yourself, right? That maybe you didn't notice before, or maybe those things, those emotional needs that you were missing or, or didn't have. Once, um, you know, they kind of drew their victims in, the leaders themselves created the subdivision, kind of this like women's only group. And its focus was supposed to be on just like women's empowerment, you know, not us as this whole family unit, but like specifically women getting together and changing their lives for the better. And through that, they created a secret society called DOS. It stands for Dominant Over Submissive. And so girls were asked to provide um, damaging collateral of themselves. So this is upon entry or upon kind of learning about this group itself. So you're in it, you've been in this group for a while. Now you're kind of in this like secret women's society. That sounds awesome. It's kind of marketed to you like this like bad girls boot camp women, fearless, sisterhood, right? And so before you even found out really what was actually gonna go on in this group, again, they asked you to provide collateral. And collateral was uh, really damaging videos that they would have to send to their group leader. So maybe the damaging video would be um, them maybe admitting that they cheated on their spouse or maybe admitting they had committed a crime and didn't get caught or that this family member has a secret drug addiction, like basically anything that they could take and blackmail or shame them with afterwards. So that was kind of your entry into the group. And at that time, a lot of the ex-members said, you know, like this was such a familial feeling group. And I really thought these people were for my best interest that like, maybe it was weird that they asked me to do that, but I would have never thought any of that would have really be used against me, right? Or, or could be used for an insidious way. Once they kind of had that leverage, um, they were now in this group 
and really quickly members of this group are asked to be branded so actually like burned into their skin and what they found out later because they were told at first this brand was just like a fancy little symbol they came up with that represented i think like the mountains and a river or something like that uh but it's actually now understood to be the leader's initial so the guy that created this entire nixium cult group and after that extreme initiation to the group the women were then labeled as slaves, which is why they named the group dominant over submissive, and then were regularly sexually abused by the group leader. So he essentially created his own brothel women. I mean, thinking about this, right, and how deep this goes, I mean, I, I know I've kind of gone off on a little tangent here, uh, going into kind of like this cult world, but still, right, thinking about the bond that's created, thinking about really targeting, bringing in people that are looking for a sense of belonging, looking for self-empowerment to fill needs that they are not able or didn't feel able to fill on their own. And building that bond, this atmosphere allowed them to feel loved and seen and trusting. And so when all of these super insidious, um, really kind of red flag things start to happen, they really felt like it was for the great, greater good, right? Or for you know the reason that these people were really looking out for them or perhaps they were just too deep in it so they couldn't leave or say no at that point and so i definitely wanted to bring that up i'm going to mention that again as we kind of go through this um, some different examples but again i just thought it was really interesting that parallel right and showing how kind of that grooming process even though the tr traditional definition is grooming a child right um, could really just still apply here or even be applied to adults as well yeah that is something that from the outside looking in you can think like um why would you be sending a video of like like that to people you know like doesn't right. make sense when you're just hearing it like this mm -hmm. but it's one of those things of you don't get it until you're in it and it yeah. does feel like family and it does feel like a trusting situation you know I think we've all had those experiences in one way or another where it's like you don't get it unless you were there you know, exactly. or we have an inside joke and it's like, oh, you had to be there. It's one of those yeah. things where you, you don't get it until you're, you're in it. And it can seem totally outlandish from the outside looking in, but from the inside, it seems to make sense at the time. Right. So it's important to know all of this and be thinking about all of these warning signs and red flags just as you go about pretty much your daily life, because you never know mm -hmm. when you're going to be in some sort of situation where it feels right and it feels familial and feels okay and safe. But if you have had these discussions and have had these thoughts about these warning signs, you might think about it a little bit differently. Yeah, totally. The next grooming stage is filling a need. So in this stage, the groomer uses their knowledge of that victim and their vulnerabilities to give them what they are searching for or what they are lacking in their lives. So I mentioned this earlier, you know, the teen might be looking for love and acceptance, just like we all were looking for as teens mm -hmm. and probably are still looking for as adults, if we're being honest. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we are all wanting love and acceptance in our lives. And sometimes we will do... Uh, some interesting things to get that and to feel that. And so other things could be, you know, special attention, incredible opportunities, gifts, or otherwise. And thank you, Lisa, for bringing up that it doesn't have to be these high profile people. It can just be, you know, your high school soccer coach. 
mm-hmm. or something like that. It's not grooming is not saved just for the high profile people. Anyone can engage in this behavior. So that's why it's so important to to know this, to know these warning signs. Epstein was able to provide some of those lavish things for his victims and once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Many of them came from backgrounds where nothing like that would have been possible otherwise. And so you're presented with this opportunity, and how can you not take it? R. Kelly promised many of his victims the career or lifestyle of their dreams. And for the victims that weren't musicians, he would often fill the boyfriend or the caretaker role and the promise of being in love with a famous musician and receiving expensive gifts, right? There's those gifts that they may not be able to explain where they came from if they're keeping that relationship a secret. Or it could be promised uh, trips with him, especially when they are vulnerable young women. Um, And that created an extraordinary bond with him. And the fact that these groomers specifically prey on vulnerable women or women who have experienced past abuse. Like that's just something that really strikes a chord in me as a survivor of abuse. It's like, Mm -hmm. so because I've already gotten past trauma and I've lived through it once because of that, you're seeking me out to do it to me again. I've survived it once and you're wanting me to survive something else again. Like, how dare you? Mm -hmm. I just had to have that mic drop. (laughs) The other part of this stage in filling the need is that this stage may involve breaking rules with the child's parents or caregivers, such as breaking curfew, going places with the perpetrator without the parent's consent, things like that. But once the rules have been broken, This perp now has a secret with that youth that can be used as a threat, kind of like that collateral Mm -hmm. that Lisa was talking about. So, you know, if you leave this relationship, I will tell I will tell your parents what you did, that you snuck out to meet me, that you have been doing this with me. You know, now they have he has that blackmail, which is, you know, all part of the process of you trusted me, this thing happened, and now you're mine. Yeah, that's huge. The next one is access and separation or isolating the youth. We've chatted a lot about this already, how R. Kelly and Epstein really tapped into this, flying the girls away on trips or providing opportunities with them that kept them close. Uh, The perpetrator will use the relationship they have built to create situations where they are alone together. Mm-hmm. Many of R. Kelly's victims discussed how once they were alone together in the recording studios, this is oftentimes where the abuse would begin or escalate. Yeah. You know, they might've had public outings where everything was a-okay and that leads to that trust being built. And then once they're alone, that's where things start happening because there's no witnesses, of course. Mm-hmm. And the the Nixium group that Lisa mentioned also used this technique by making people who weren't in the group seen as outsiders or wrong. Once individuals were really pulled into their world, it was easy for them to make a lot of the damaging behaviors seem normal or okay, especially when they lack the contact from the outside world. So there's no one to tell them that what's happening isn't right. You know, we see this in domestic violence too. The Mm -hmm. abuser moves the victim 
away from friends and family and even damages those relationships that the victim has with the friends and family because who are you going to tell if there's nobody around you to tell? And so that's precisely what they're doing there is protecting their own actions because they want to make sure you don't have anyone to really not even report to, but even like bring up, even if you were thinking this was all okay and you're just casually bringing it up to a person who's on the outside and they could think it was not okay and they might want to call you out on it or report it or what have you. They don't want to risk you having any of those conversations. So they'll isolate you away from any possibility of having those conversations. Absolutely. And just become your, your main support, right? So that way, mm-hmm. if you don't have those other support systems, um, yeah, like you said, you know, there's no one to kind of tell that person, give them a warning sign, right? Like this doesn't seem right. But also, so that perpetrator is that primary support role. And so that person will kind of um, maybe even feel trapped kind of in a cycle, you know, of just thinking that whatever's happening, it seems weird, or maybe it seems hurtful, or maybe it seems wrong. But again, this person who I have built this huge rapport with, who I've come to trust, and, you know, is really promising me that they care for me, they're trying to help me in all these different ways. And they're also telling me it's not wrong, or they're also making this seem very normal. Um, And so yeah, that that isolation piece is, I think, really, really essential for this to occur. And so to cover these last steps of the grooming process, uh, the next step is abuse beginning or abuse occurring. So in this stage for youth, there is now, like we've been chatting about, that normalization process, right? For maybe for touch or sexual interactions with that perpetrator. Uh, In this stage, the relationship or dependency on the abuser has really been established um, and really, you know, that foundation is really strongly built in there. And the desensitization begins. And so this is often slowly or portrayed as innocent. Um, You know, we're just playing. This is normal. These are things that, you know, within this relationship and who we are that is totally fine to do this stuff. And so perhaps it can start in a way where the perp kind of accidentally uh, maybe walks in on the youth changing, right? Or showering and kind of starting that slow process that way that I've already seen you and that's, you know, oh, it was an accident, that's fine. Or maybe they begin to introduce, you know, things like tickle games or cuddling under blankets, right? And kind of really closing that distance, starting those really boundary crossing inappropriate moments. And this is all a way for the perpetrator to kind of see how the youth will react, right? How they'll react to me walking in on them in the bathroom as they're changing or how they're going to react if I start to tickle them or get under that blanket with them. And it's also a way that they can just see how far they can push those boundaries, right? And then the last stage in the grooming process is maintaining control. And so once the abuse has occurred, uh, whether it's the child perhaps being trafficked to others or being abused by the perpetrator themselves, the groomer will often use that trust and affection from the youth uh, or maybe the secrets or threats or even sometimes violence to maintain that power and control relationship and to keep the victim silent, right? So especially if they threaten to leave the relationship or tell someone. And we know that R. Kelly's victims, um, the ones that came forward, they have, I mean, remarkable, heart-wrenching stories of violence and abuse that occurred towards them in that situation. Most of them saying that it was fear of him or, you know, the repercussions of what would happen if they went ahead and told someone or if they left the situation. And that's really what kept them compliant and under his control. 
And circling back to that Nixium group, you know, they, again, had that collateral taken, right? So they actually had, you know, a knowledge and understanding of if I did want to leave this group at this point, if I start to realize that this is wrong, if I start to realize like I'm in too deep and now, you know, I'm kind of getting these little insightful little alarm clocks going off in my head that like, this isn't okay, I need to leave. Well, then they look back and realize that, you know, this person could ruin my life, right? Or blackmail me in order to leave. And so... It's unfortunate, um, but, you know, there's a lot of different ways that perpetrators can maintain that control and keep individuals, especially youth, in these situations. Yeah, so if you have a reason to suspect that your child or a youth you know is being groomed, it's very important to trust your instinct. Yes. I don't know if you guys listen to this other podcast called Crime Junkies. I am a Crime Junkies fan, but they their motto is, Stay weird, stay rude, stay alive. Mm. Um, It's okay if you are feeling like your gut is telling you something, be weird about it. Call it out. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? I love that model. And it's great. Yes. I know. We all need that as a bumper sticker to just (laughs) drive around and always be reminded all the time, everywhere of those. I think they call them crime junkie life rules or something like that. It is, yeah, trust your instincts. Go with it. Just ask about it. Yeah. (laughs) Another thing is watch out for some of the warning signs and red flags that we discussed. So now that we've talked about this, keep those in mind. You don't have to have them all memorized, but now you've been introduced to them. So you can keep those at the forefront. Stop that person from being alone with your child or having family access if you are seeing any of those red flags. You know, any of the favors that they were doing for the family. Oh, we got a new person to fix our roof. Or, oh, you know, we're happy to take her to this, I don't know, group spot where she's going to be doing this with other youth rather than the private lessons we have. You know, lie about it. (laughs) Do what you have to do. Say you had financial circumstances change and you needed to stop doing whatever it was you know be weird be rude stay away (laughs) change and that's okay find out how the child feels about the person to feel out the situation questions can sound like did you like the way this person acts around you or this person seems to like a lot of your posts do they follow you on all of your accounts just asking those questions and see how they answer and uh, just to get a feel for how your child or a child you know is interacting with this person. Encourage them to talk. Ask questions like, is there anything you're worried about or that's bothering you? One of my favorite tips of having tough conversations where you're really wanting to get some good information out is just always avoid the word why. So if you're asking your child or a child you know, you know, why are you talking to this person all the time? Why are they giving you this? Why are you doing this? It can automatically make the person on the receiving end of that question get defensive. If you just change your wording around a little bit, like what are the reasons that led you to accepting this gift from this person? Or how often are you talking to this person? I'm getting at the same answer that I'm seeking, but literally just deleting that word why goes such a long way for conversations and really invites 
a conversation and a dialogue rather than that person feeling like they need to just give you a quick answer to your why question. I actually had a professor one time who said, ask a why, get a lie. Because it's just known, it's just known that you get defensive if you're asked a why question. I like that. So much less judgmental seeming too, you know, just free framing. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what are you getting out of this relationship? What is it about this person that you like talking with them? Yeah, it just feels a lot less judgmental. I love that. Mm -hmm. You can also contact a local agency and discuss your concerns. You know, here at Live Island Free, we have a 24-hour crisis line and I know any of our crisis counselors would be happy to talk about if what you're experiencing sounds like grooming to us, or if you want to just vent about it and we can give you some resources. Um, You can call our office directly, or uh, we actually have a text chat on our website that you can use as well. And this is all listed in our show notes below. There's also the, if you're not in our area, in the Tahoe or Alpine area, the National Sexual Assault hotline, the National Domestic Violence hotline. Um, So if you're not in this area, you can connect with them and they can connect you with your local service provider or they might be able to answer a couple of your questions too. So we'll have all of that information down in the show notes. Mm -hmm. This is so much to talk about, especially now being a mother, you know, talking about this early yeah (laughs) the early signs that can happen and all of that you know there's enough to worry about as a parent and then you have to think about all of this too the world is a scary place but just don't be afraid to trust your instincts and ask weird questions if you have to I mean especially with teenagers and my daughter isn't even one yet so I'm definitely far away from those conversations but you know, some teenagers, they're going to be upset no matter what you're talking about. So you might as well try to get out some good information while you're having a conversation with them. And yeah, access more resources if you need to. Yeah. And I think as scary as it can be, right? I think that's why it's especially so important, you know, with the kind of things that go on in the world, um, why it's so important just to simply have this information, right? Kind of just little tools in your toolkit and things, ways of understanding things. That way, you know, you're better equipped, you're better kind of armed with this information to deal with it head on, to have conversations early uh, and hopefully, yeah, just be looking to prevent anything scary that could happen, right? Instead of having to intervene on anything scary that's happening, you know, once you're down the line and, and things have already occurred. And so, really, um, you know, we're really happy that our listeners, especially, you know, parents like Bree that are probably maybe sort of struggling through this, right, to kind of take this in and, you know, feeling kind of the fear and that, you know, those feelings that can come up just hearing about this in general. We're really grateful that everyone took time today to learn a, bit, a little bit more. So with all of that being said, I was thinking it would be pretty fitting to do a self-love meditation, you know, something that might lead someone into grooming is not feeling enough of that self-love for themselves and so they're seeking it elsewhere. So I thought that doing a self-love meditation would be just perfect to round this episode out. If you are able to get into a nice, relaxing position, removing any distractions for the duration of this meditation, that might be flipping your phone into silence or closing the door if you're able to wherever you are just making sure you have that 
call in the area set aside for yourself. And you get to take the very first action in self-love right now. Your ability to breathe at will in all different kinds of ways, you get to interact in that right now. Our breath has been there literally our entire lives, changing as needed to the demand of exciting circumstances and flowing effortlessly when we are resting. So taking multiple full and deep breaths every day is proven to change our bodies and minds for the better. With all that being said, go ahead and close your eyes if you're comfortable or just gently gaze down. Taking five full and deep breaths. I'm going to walk you through each one of the five, but go ahead and start taking some deep breaths on your own. And as we go through each of these five breaths, we're going to breathe in and hold it for a moment at the top and then just naturally exhale it. So this first one, when you're ready, inhale a nice big breath, expanding your belly and lungs as much as you can. Hold it and exhale gently with relief. The next one, inhaling fresh oxygen that will be supplied to your bloodstream. Holding it to soak it in and exhaling without any effort. Third one, we're gonna inhale feeling rejuvenated and invigorated by this breathing. Hold it and exhale easily. Fourth breath together, we're going to inhale, noticing how breathing fully comes naturally for you. Pausing to soak it in and exhale any tension or worry. And our fifth breath, inhaling fully as an act of self-love. Pause to feel this love and exhale into complete relaxation. Let your breath flow at a pace without any effort from you now. That natural breathing you were gifted with. By doing this, you are proving you are capable of self-love. Deep breathing increases the supply of oxygen to your brain and stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, sometimes referred to as the rest and digest system. By breathing deeply and often, you are commanding your body to rest, which relaxes and rejuvenates you. This is self-love in its simplest form. And anyone can do this at any time of day. When you're ready, you can come back to the room thanking yourself for taking that time. 
wiggle anything that feels like it needs wiggling. Another awesome meditation. There's our self-love for the day. Thank you, Bree, for that. Um, man, it's just, I know we do that every single episode. And, you know, I always try to incorporate nice breaths in my day whenever I can. But it's just, yeah, the power of that. Like, I always just feel so nice after we finish our little meditation. And that one was um, especially great. So thank you so much. I'm sure, you know, some listeners out there probably really needed that little recentering moment as well after that conversation mm-hmm. we really unpacked a lot there um, but I'm happy we did you know and I think that um, this is something again that's just super important for people to understand as scary as awful as this could seem um, you know exploiting children or just the intention of abusing someone it could be really hard things to hear but really really important that we know what they look like unfortunately right for the for the good of us being able to prevent things before they happen um, and help ourselves and help others. And so we have provided a lot of resources below in the show description today. There's going to be articles discussing grooming. You can look into that deeper. Uh, I've also plugged in some survivor stories uh, provided from Rain's website. I think these are really compelling. I think it's really interesting to kind of read through, right, and see kind of in real time how this has happened to individuals who are now adults. Uh, also, a lot of information about the R. Kelly case, the Jeff Epstein case, and the Nixium case as well that we discussed throughout. And I included also the trailers for the documentaries on each of those entities. So that way you can kind of check those out, decide for yourself if that's something you want to look more into, watch the documentaries. But all in all, we just really want to, again, thank you out there for listening in today and gaining more insight on this issue. And we hope you'll join us for our next conversation.